Hello, hello everyone. Good day, good day to all. Good day, bonjour, ça va? Welcome to another Kakoti. Oh my God. Um, it's been like a couple of weeks, right? It's been a few weeks. And um, I think I did a few shows in, in October, the earlier part of October, and then I had to travel. So the latter part of October, there were no shows, but we're back. And I'm so happy to be back here with you guys. I am so grateful for the opportunity, first of all, thankful for life. And um, I get to, to be back on with you, uh, to share more experiences, to share more stories, to feature more wonderful Caribbean people. Um, and um, it's a privilege. It's always a privilege. I feel a, a little bit nervous. I don't even know why, because I am never nervous on my podcast. Um, so I don't know why the nerves is a sudden um, burst of nerves. Uh, but I am glad to be here. And I hope that you are happy to be here as well. We have an interesting guest on with us, um, a Caribbean woman. Somebody said to me, Jill, why don't you just make that show all about women? Because you seem to have a lot of women on the show. And honestly, left to me, I probably would do just that. But I like to feature Caribbean people, whether they're men and women. And it just so happened that I connect more frequently with women than with men in the sense of getting the, you know, guests for the show and whatever. And, um, and I will keep promoting them, you know, keep promoting women. It's I'm not trying to be like a segregate male or female. You know? That's not the plan. But um, if you have suggestions, I always welcome them. Uh, constructive criticism, um, suggestions and guests. If you have guests, I want to shout out Curvel. You know, Curvel in Dominica, um, who works for Caricom. Is always suggesting all of these amazing people and she's connecting me with all of these people. So big up to you, Carvel, um, who's locked in. Guys, when you come on, let me know where you're on from, um, where you're locked in from, uh, where you're hailing from, where you're representing, because some of you might be from places or in places, but not necessarily representing there. So just let me know where you're uh, locked in from and I will give you a shout. Uh, I always, you know, again, I'm coming back to saying, I always welcome suggestions for the show. Uh, the show, it's in its third season, growing. And uh, one of the, you know, one of the, the, the things that I'm absolutely grateful for is the fact that this program is streamed on digital platforms worldwide. So I am so grateful for this. Uh, 30 countries get to see this program every single time. It airs. So I want to big up, first of all, Fabio and the entire Digicel team, the Digicel team out there in St. Lucia, and big up to my Digicel family in Dominica. Thank you so very much for the opportunity. Nikima, yo, Nikima, the CEO of Digicel Dominica, is doing big things. Go follow her on Instagram. You'll get to see all of the awesome things. I think her Instagram is Nikki CEO. So go follow her. Uh, she just recently um, did uh, was on a panel with... Um, Bill Clinton, and, and I mean, she's an amazing woman doing amazing things. You see, then again, here I go singling out women again. Sorry, uh, sorry, <laughs> it's just become part of me. But I'm so happy, guys, to be back on with you. And uh, today I have a woman who is a researcher. She's a writer. She's a producer. She's done quite a number of films. We're going to be talking a little bit about some of her projects that she's um, she's been part of she's been doing 
and um, we're gonna have a good time. You know, I am excited, and I hope you too are excited. So we're gonna have Zephyr. She's gonna be joining us. She's actually in the lobby. I just want to make sure that my comment section is working. So if you guys can, anybody who's locked in, just send me a message. Let me know that you uh, are there. You're representing. You can't wait for the show. Just send me a message. And don't forget, my people, to share the link. Like, I feel like every single time I have to be like, big, you know, to share the link. You know, just go ahead and hit that share button and uh, share the link so that somebody else can get in on the conversation, get in on the show. Okay, so I think my, I think my comment section is working. I see. I think I see someone. Uh, someone just shared uh, the video. So thank you for sharing the video. Uh, yeah. So as I said to you before, I was off a little bit. The last uh, weeks or a couple of weeks, I spent some of it in Dominica. Uh, got to do some interesting things, including uh, host the World Choral Music Festival, where I met one of like my like, I've loved this woman, I swear forever. I'm a princess lover. And let me tell you, like, this was like such an experience because honestly, like you, you know when you see stars and you or you see people that you, you follow, celebrities, and you think, you know, they must be so stush, they must be so stuck up, you know? And she like came to speak to me backstage and she was so warm. She was so, and her English is so on point. And she was like, we were speaking. And next thing you know, we're following each other on Instagram and talking on Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm talking to Princess Lola. You know, like, I mean, like, she's awesome. Hopefully I can get her on the podcast sometime soon. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. You know, we negotiations, you know, her management, and, you know, <laughs> I'm just talking shit, but yeah. So I, it was a really amazing opportunity. So big up to the folks, Dominica Festivals Commission, big up to Marvel Williams. Um, Marvel Williams is probably one of the most amazing women in Dominica. Any of you who are locked in and you know Marvel, you'll probably be able to attest to that. And I just want to say directly, speak directly to her and say thank you very much again for the opportunity. It wasn't my first rodeo at the World Curl Music Festival, but I appreciate the fact that she reached out to me months in advance, you know, and said, Jill, we want you on. We were interested. And, you know, I I really must um, uh, commend her on putting on such an amazing show. Um, so many wonderful artists. You know, there's there'll always be stuff that happen in show business, you know, things that will happen that you're probably not happy about. But she did an awesome job. And I want to just commend her. From my heart to her heart, thanks for the opportunity and thanks for giving Dominica a really, really incredible World Career Music Festival 2019. Hi, Joyce. How are you, Joyce? I heard you're going to be a grandma soon. Congratulations to you. Um, Hadley is locked in. Hadley, where are you locked in from? I think you're in, somewhere in the States. Not 100% sure where you're from. But thanks, guys, for tuning in. We're going to get straight into the show. It's seven minutes after the hour. And I want to introduce you to my guest. Before I introduce you to my guest, I want to let you know a little bit about how I met my guest. I, I, I don't know. I seem to have all of these interesting stories. We actually share a mutual friend. And um, I remember the, you know, the person telling me a little bit about, about 
about my guest. Um, and I was like, oh, nice, you know, and whatever. And that person, she, she happened to be picking her up. Um, that's my guest was coming on. And I was sitting in the front and she comes in and, you know, she's like, I go, um, hi. And she says, oh, hi. You know, I'm like, I'm JL. She goes, oh, nice to meet you. And then we start talking and then I'm like, oh, I'm from Vega. She goes, wait, so you must be my family. <laughs> right? And and we instantly connected. And then, you know, I got to speak a little bit to, to her and she started telling me about things that she was doing she was actually visiting um dominica at the time and i was like you know what i would love to have you on my podcast sometime and she goes yeah man you know give me your contact so we exchange our our contact information and she scheduled like she once i sent her the link she scheduled the the um the podcast and you know things just got rolling really quickly she is you know a uh, a uh, uh, a woman after my own heart because one she's dominican dominican to the bone you know when you women when you see you meet women we have a lot of women outside of dominica doing really really amazing things like like i don't even think we even understand just what we have out there right and i just want to let you know if you're listening right now if you're viewing right now and you you know a woman in dominica who's doing really good things make sure you constantly you know pay homage to her and you know and uplift her and, and encourage her because we have so many women outside and some of them probably will never return to dominica for whatever reason because they probably have a lot more opportunities where they are or whatever the case might be but she is one of these women and when you guys will hear a little bit about her you understand exactly what i say what i'm saying or what i mean when i say that we have some pretty damn amazing women outside of Dominica. No offense to the rest of the Caribbean. You know, the Caribbean, I know the Caribbean is locked in. 30 countries are locked in across the world, including Papua New Guinea and, you know, all of the different um, places where Digicel is. But I just want them to know we have some real good bread come out of Dominica, right? And she is one of those. And I just want you guys to really show appreciation to the women who are there now who are doing things. You know, all of the people in the media, all of the women who are doing, the women business owners who are doing really amazing things. Make sure you, 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 you know, you give them a little compliment now and again. Tell them, you know, you're doing good things, you know, and, and really comment them because I think we need to start appreciating what we have before we appreciate other things, like things from the outside. And that is why I'm so happy to have this woman on here with me today and without no further ado i just want to welcome my guest on with us hi rosalie how are you how are you guys doing yes we do yes hadley hadley is in north carolina big up to you want to welcome my guest miss zephyrin roy to Kakuti. hi zephyrin i do why well, an introduction? Oh my god! <laughs> what, what? I did something. Oh, really? I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you. It's it's really nice to be on with you. It's nice to have you on. Um, and you know, you're a Dominican woman, uh, Dominican by birth. You know, and and I really want you. You know, I really want 
I think we just need to start appreciating what we have. I, sometimes I feel like I'm not appreciated. And I know it's the worst feeling ever because I have firsthand, you know, knowledge as to how that feels. So I like to appreciate, I like to do what I would like done for me, you know? And, and I think you're an amazing woman. You, you've done, you've, you've so accomplished more than people. People probably look at you and say, you're this black girl with natural hair. You know, they just think you're a regular schmegular, but you're not. So I just want to <laughs> let the whole world know, you know, that we have no regular schmegular girls from Dominique, especially not. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be known. Okay. I, 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 I never thought that. One day I'll be on a podcast and a Dominican podcast with a Dominican woman. Like, I think it's totally amazing. I think it's amazing, like, what you're doing uh, for Dominique as a whole and for the Caribbean. I think it's wonderful. So, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm happy to have you here. Um, with me on, on Taco Tea and I hope that whatever um, we discussed here today will inspire some other young person um, will be inspired because that's what this show is about. It's about telling your story with hopes that you can touch a life, you can inspire someone and you can motivate someone to not just be better but be a better version of themselves. So that's what we hope we can accomplish every single show. Zephyrin, um, thank you again for the opportunity. I know you are a super busy person and um, for you to take the time out of your schedule because being in the line of work that you're in, it's very roller coaster like because oh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff always happening. Yes. The fact that you could book in advance and take time out of your schedule to actually be here to speak with me, I really appreciate it. And I just want to get straight into things, not waste no time. Do you get your bubble tea? Have your bubble tea? Yes. <laughs> what is your what is your bubble tea? This is I says nothing, but it's a special mug. It was given to by my, my grandmother from Marabet. So this is like my favorite ever mug. So when I like all of my drink, you know, something oh, that's a warm feeling. I always think of my mom when I drink it. Oh, that and is that's the place where I drank a lot of cafe tea. So, <laughs> like when I chose this one, I'm like, oh yes, this is the mug for cafe tea. The mug. <laughs> this is the yeah. mug. We have a <laughs> Dominica. Um, not just in, in in us being Dominicans, but you know, a little piece of your of your mom, your grandma with you. Um, and you, we have a little piece of your grandma with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just want to get straight into it. Um, I I always ask this question um, to start every show. Uh, probably people think I ask the same question every single time, but it's a question that I feel is um, I I prefer to be answered by my guests, and I don't like people to assume anything. And it is who are you when you when the world sees you? Who is it that you want them to see? Who is that person? Oh wow. Zephyr is a storyteller. <laughs> this is I think this is the most uh this is what I think defines me. I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller from Dominica. Uh, right now I'm a researcher and filmmaker, and I think it's something that just flows like one into the other. But storyteller. That's what I would yes. Okay, so you were born in, you don't live in Dominica right now, 
Where no. exactly are you now? Uh, right now, I live in Marte, but I was born in Dominica, grew up in Dominica, actually grew up in Maragot. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Concord Primary School, St. Andrews High School, the best. And um, I moved to Mount when to go to university. So I was already like 20 years when I moved to, I was an adult when I moved to Mount Wow. Grew, you know. Can I say a little bit about growing up in, in Margaret in Dominica? Oh, that was the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Um, I grew up in North End. And like, it was like the best place to grow up, man. Like we were on a hillside, at the bottom of the hillside is the, is based on with the sea. There's the river right there. At our backs, we had the mountains. So we had like a playground that was just never ended. And we would spend our time climbing trees. Um, somebody called us a scavenger, like scavengers once, because we would go look for Fruits in people's gardens, and uh, we just spent our times like all the time climbing trees, being wild in the bush, going to the river, cooking pot by the river. That's something that I think all Dominicans can relate to. Uh, that was my childhood. Like, honestly, I don't have so many memories of being inside of a house. Um, my memories of being in a house for to sleep. Wow. Really. You spent uh, a lot of time outside. I'm outside, yes. What was some of your, probably, your, you mentioned some of the things that you did, but what were some of the memories that you have that you feel impacted your life the most? Storytelling. Um, some of my most, like my strongest and most powerful memories are memories of telling stories by moonlight on the neighbor's steps. And you would always have somebody who would come with a superior story. Um, (laughs) This person was walking through the village and they they meet a dog and the dog didn't want to let them pass or they had to beat with a stick or something with a coffin or somebody had a baby crying somewhere. And then at that time, our bathroom was outside. <laughs> when the problem would be over, my mother would say, Go and wash all yourself before you go to bed. Gasa. Yes. <laughs> I, I had like this environment that was really like people told stories a lot. And I think as Dominicans are very good storytellers, like we're, uh, I don't know, we're bathed in this culture of storytelling. And I, those are my best memories, you know. I grew up telling stories too, like I write stories all the time. It, it's, yeah. so, it's so crazy you say that because um, my best moments with my mom before she passed, you know, as a child, was her telling us stories about her growing up in Lajo and, oh, and you know, her mother telling her about the Elijah blessing the bush yes and you know the ladies all the clothes that would come on and i used to like i used to like like just bask in all of her stories and everything the difference is that i was never scared <laughs> it was you were you were scared, scared of like the dark like afterwards like when you'd be walking on the road uh where did you grow up i was never scared you know why i was never scared we i was 
I grew up next to a cemetery. So my mother always would tell us these stories, but she always said, but look at the cemetery. Like it's right there. Like nothing happens there. Nothing's going to happen to you guys. I would walk past the cemetery in the pitch black, dark of night, you know, to go to the shop if my mother ran out of stories. Or I remember like bouncing into people and I, up to this day, I don't know who I bounced into, you know? (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. I used to love it. I used to love it when the lights would go and we're in the darkness. Yo, I I don't know. I always love the dark. I don't know why. (laughs) I love love the dark too because there's an element of like mystery and... Uh, just like being my candlelight, there's something that's so warm and intimate and like everybody's together. And but the outside world is like another thing. Like when you have to go and get something from the neighbors, you have no street lights, no nothing. And you see like bushes moving in darkness. And then they will tell you that um what do you call them? Um label. Label. <laughs> they would say label is sukuya. I know say, when you see like a big big label is a sukuya. Yo, I, you know, never like walk into somebody's house or something, and like you see, like this big label coming like straight at you. You say that, right? I remember stepping on a label once, and I swear that was what had caused my foot to start hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were scared of the dark, but there was something. I think it was a label. A label did it for me. Uh, but I was never scared of the dark. Um, but I, I can appreciate because, you know, I'm sure people who are looking at this right now who grew up those times can appreciate that because nowadays you don't find kids can actually talk about these kinds of stories because yeah. I don't know if their parents have not passed it on to them or kids are so uh, engrossed in TV in, in 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 North American life and all of these things that they completely, completely forget about that. But it's good to know that you had such a rich childhood um, that kind of like helped you get to where you are. Who did you look up to as a child? I don't know. I think the person that I look up to that I looked up to was um someone that I grew up with. Who was she was only one year older than me, and we grew up like sisters. Um, her name was Sylvie, and I think like growing up, she was sort of like a hero figure for me because she was always very strong. She was like uh, a tomboy, and like I had I couldn't climb trees very well. I was like I was a scary cat. So the scared of the dark thing, I think it just goes. I was a scary cat. So she would swim and jump from rocks and she would climb trees, like she would grab a branch and just climb the tree, like by the branch and not by the trunk. Uh, we had like a really, really tall Africa tree uh, on our land and it was forbidden to climb the Africa tree. Because you'd be so No, because you would you would fall and like if you fell from that height, you would die. And she would climb the Africa tree. And like when my mom would call, she would call from like way up and I would answer on the ground but I would like project my voice <laughs> she would think that it was Sylvie calling I'm um, answering because she'd always call Sylvie she wouldn't call me because she knew I wasn't getting in any trouble but Sylvie so I think she was the person who was like always like pushing me so, I know you like Sylvie from Mark but I hope it's not the same person maybe I don't know if there's that many Sylvie's from Mark but she went to St. Andrews also oh, is she, is she, does she happen to live in Canada 
Not in Canada, but not too far. Okay. Because I know that you are from America and lives in Canada. No. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Hope it's not that Sylvie. We'll talk about that after. Yes. <laughs> it might not be that Sylvie. Oh my God. I know that, that was the person that I, that I looked up to. Because for me, like, she was strong. Wow. So yeah. you had this friend who was a superhero in your eyes. Who was like your, your own local superhero. Um, femme fatale, Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh, actually, she's actually family, you know. She's she's she was my, but she was she's still alive. She's my aunt, but she was only one year older than me. So we grew up together. So we were very close. So this was the person who was like always there. She was the person who always had the ideas, and like I would be, she'd be like, "Let's do that." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> So my my mom, she would call us the the battery and the robot because she'd be like she always has the, like the ideas and I'd be like okay let's I'm do it do yes like really crazy stupid things okay so you 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 go to Saint Andrews um, High School you decide now to move to Martinique now why did you decide on Martinique? Let me see, what motivated this choice at the time? Hmm. Right. I went to St. Andrews. I had a really good French teacher. Her name was Carol Valmo. Very good French teacher. And I remember her speaking French. And I was like, oh, wow. I need to speak French like that. So I think I really liked French. And when I went to college, I did French. So I did like French and sociology. And then I had the opportunity to go to Cuba. So it was a rush. And I was like, mm -mm, too cold. Um, I could go to Guadeloupe or Martinique and for some reason I don't know why Martinique just appealed to me I've never been there before and just by a strange um, how would I say that now some people might call it coincidence and you know I think it happened because it had to happen uh, I came to Martinique I can like explain the circumstances under which I came to Martinique which were pretty um how would I say that, you know? I did not expect it to happen like that. Let's say it like that. You, you want to share with yeah. Sure. So yeah. I applied to university, and I had no idea of how I was going to pay for the university, pay for rent, like nothing. I just applied, like, good faith. I'm like, I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to apply, because I need to go to university, etc. And um, I was at a friend's house, and he had gone to the market and he came back and he said to me, guess what? I know how you can go to market. I just in the market who's from Martinique on just for weekend, just for two days, and they're looking for a fee for au pair. So an au pair is somebody who lives with a family uh, in a foreign country. Uh, they usually like take classes or for do some form of schooling and they take care of the person's kids while speaking like the foreign language. So I go to see this, the, the person and that's how I got to me. Wow. I was like, the, yes, it was like just a strange, because like, like literally I had no idea, absolutely zero idea of like, how I was going to get a ticket to go to Martinique and like, what would happen from there? Like no idea. And then, it was maybe like a month before, like school opened. Like this year, this year is not my plan, you know. <laughs> so 
So I'm going to go to school and I meet this person and we're like, okay, let's go. Uh, it happened that the day that she was doing, um, not auditions, the interviews, it was raining a lot. It was like pouring rain. And there were very few people who showed up. So she was like, do you want a job? I was like, yeah. Wow. Okay, before we get, I, I want to get to Martinique. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge some of the folks who are coming on. We have um, Jean-Marie Moye. Hi, locked in from Guyana. We have Rihanna Patterson, who's locked in from the UK. Um, Natty Bellat is saying hi. Um, Hattile Hilton is saying they love your hair. Uh, I'm guessing it's your hair. It can't be mine because I have braids. There's nothing special about braids. <laughs> um, um, Jean-Marie specifically is asking a question and I mentioned it before and I just want to get back to it a little bit that you do have a connection with Vegas. Let them, can you clear the air on your connection with Vegas? Okay, so my grandmother with whom I grew up is from Vegas, so that's the Rui family. And my father is also from Vegas. Um, for people who might know Francis Roy from Vegas is my grandfather. So if you know Michael Roy, you know, this, that's my family. He's my uncle, my aunt, so yes. Wow. That's the Vegas side of the story. Yes. So that's the Vegas side, okay? So I hope you're happy with the, with the answer. <laughs> moving moving fast, fast ahead, getting into, okay, so you're now in Martinique, or you decide now to take on this role and go to Martinique. How did you decide on what you were going to study? Or was it something, because you studied French and sociology, that you were just going to go into something that had to do with that? Oh, <laughs> <Jill>. <laughs> oh. Uh, the, the beginning of my study started off a bit of, like, I don't know even how to explain it. it what I thought it was, it turned out not to be that at all, but it turned out to be the perfect thing in the end. So when I signed up, I wanted it to be French. And so I signed up, you know, fill on papers or whatever, I wanted to be French. And when I got to, when I got here, it turned out that I was signed up for Let Modern, which is like modern French literature. Uh, it was not the French classes I was expecting at all. You know, it's literature classes for like French students, yeah, who like done literature in high school, etc. And like, it, I was like just drowning, like way over my, you know, everything was like way over my head. I wasn't understanding anything people were saying. I was like, this is a mess. And then I eternal it was just perfect. So, so, so how did you overcome that? Because. Um, Oh, I won't have. It's kind of sort of a mistake, right? Like you, you felt. Yeah. How did you actually overcome that? Because anybody else, number one, you have so many things against you. You have the language barrier, and not actually signing up for what you expected that you would. That would have probably helped you to get to that point. You were yeah. just crossed into that the litmodial, whatever you call it, right? What did you? How? What did you do to overcome? Um, I figured that. It would help me go f faster, actually. Like, it was really, really hard. Like, the passing grades, like, 10 on 20. And I was, like, 4, 3, 2. It was, like, ridiculous like, when I started. But I figured, like, if you can hang on long enough, uh, you're going to go faster. Like, 
you know, faster than if you like, take any French class before, like, you know, other French class. So what I did was, like, I studied like I've never studied in my life. Like, I went, I would go to the library, I bought books on, like, writing French essays because the style is also different. And that was something that really threw me. In English, it's, you know, we're very pragmatic and they do, the way of structuring sentences is different. The way of writing an essay is quite different, even commenting, um, text commentary and stuff like that. Uh, in French, it's small, it's quite long winding and, you know. Um, so I did that. And there was one teacher who, I think he saw that this, some of the English students and some of the students were struggling. And he said, um, you can come in on Saturday mornings. And for, for this particular class, uh, we had a lot of essays to do. And the essays, are, it's four hours. Every time you have to write an essay, you have to sit down. They give you a four-hour time slot to do it. So he said, you can come in on Saturday mornings. And you practice. I give you an essay question, and you're going to write for four hours. And I correct it. And I did that. Uh, you know, I'll go, we'll go to his office. There were probably like maybe out of 300 students, about like three of three people who took up took him up on the offer. So I would go to his office with a couple of other students, and I would write very badly. Very badly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it was awful. But by the end of the first year, like you know, first semester rolled around failing, I had to repass some exams in second semester, like you know, I started gaining. Gaining speed, you know, and then by the second year, I was like, okay, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you decide to go into becoming an educator. Um, why did you choose that? Field? Besides the fact that you were forced into it somewhat, thrust into it through university, why that? Because you could have said, okay, I'm just going to get the university degree and I'm going to go work as a banker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <That was never> <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually started teaching when I was in Dominica. So when I finished um, college, mm -hmm. I did one year of teaching at St. Andrews High School. And I was thrown because I liked teaching because I think just from my high school, I liked like explaining things to like, my classmates. And there was something, I, I had very good teachers too. I had really good teachers from St. Andrews and from primary school. So I think I was always very strongly impacted by my teachers. And I think I wanted to, you know, give back in that way. Uh, but when I went to teach, I was like, okay, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. Like this job is hard. Um, tell me if I'm still here, Jill, because I can't see you anymore. I just, I got disconnected. Am I still here? You see me? I'm not hearing you actually. I'm hearing you. I think we have like a little. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm I can hear you. My... Okay. Uh, so. You hear, you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Everything is perfect. We might have um, so I think when uh, when I started teaching, like it was a mess for me because I realized like this job is a tough job. And I was like, okay, you need, you need training, you need to do something like you know, to become qualified. So I was going to do French, I was going to come back and teach, etc. And so I, when I went to university, I still had in mind that, you know, I wanted to do something in this field. And eventually I wanted to switch to psychology and I ended up moving towards um, educational science. 
And that's what I like, specialized in, like through my bachelor's, master's, and PhD. Wait, so so let's let's. This don't go so fast now. You're moving fast. You you actually so, so most people might not even understand. You're not, you're not, you've actually gone the full length and you have a PhD in education. Yes. In my bilingual, yes, my specialty is bilingual education. Why did you decide to go throughout? Because I'll let you know, a lot of people start their bachelors in one thing, then they go, they do master's in something else and probably after the master's they decide okay i'll do the phd but why did you decide to stick it out and that was what you were truly passionate about and you were going to go the full extent of it um i think what happened was for some reason even at some point when i thought hmm, maybe i can do something else i was always like something always happened to sort of like redirect me towards education and it happened that I started doing English workshops for little kids. That these were like really little kids. It started, it started at 15 months to like five years. And at the time, I was scared, like, I was scared shitless, like, <laughs> because I'd never taught to like little kids. So it was a really um, just, you know, unknown terrain for me. And I went from like being sort of like scared of the little kids and not knowing what to expect or how to do anything to absolutely loving it. More than high school, more than junior high, more than senior high, more than adult education. I just loved working with the little kids. And so eventually I like created like programs, like bilingual programs for the preschool where I was working. And um, I put in place like these, these workshops that run like the full year and then I started experimenting um, different like bilingual teaching approaches uh, with the kids and I worked with, uh, while I was doing my masters, I had an opportunity to work with a team of um, teachers and researchers from the uh, European um, Centre for Modern Languages and like that was a blast because I had to like develop this whole um, programme for the for like this approach and i think it just you know as i moved along it just sort of how do i say that one not just grew on me but i think i got to see it like in a different way the impact that i was having like with the kids and it just became my thing you know <laughs> yeah. okay we're at the the halfway point um, I just want to remind you, those of you viewing, and don't forget to share the link. Um, if you came in late, it's okay. This stays on forever. It doesn't ever get off my Facebook. The show will always be on there. You can always start watching it from the beginning again. Um, you can also catch it on YouTube because we do. I do import all of the contents of the show to YouTube and eventually to my website. That's jlejoseph.com. Don't forget to share the show. Um, tag a friend. Show some love uh, throughout. Get into the to, to, to more or getting to know more about Zephyrin. Uh, Zephyrin, you you kind of sort of went suddenly went to film. What I mean from it's kind of <laughs> I mean as much as you've you've reiterated that your your love for storytelling, but not very frequently do you find people um who who are educators usually 
um, they they stick along those lines. You know, they, they because we look at film as more of the art of the schooling. You know what I mean? Why did you decide to go into film? I think it's much uh, less sudden than people might think. I do understand looking at it from the outside and people from my <clears throat> my entourage have told me, you know, like, you know, you did a PhD, why are you like doing making films now? And it's not as it's not as strange as it might seem. The the link to, to storytelling is always there and the link to education is always there. Um for me I was making, I think, I was in filmmaking for a while before people actually realized that I was doing it. Uh, I was working with um, Stephanie Saxena, who is the director, from 2015. Like we were traveling and we would make um, short films. And you know, eventually we started putting it out and that's when like, people started seeing like really, you know, what was like what we were doing. So they started becoming aware, like, okay, like you're doing film, etc. It's a bit strange. But for me, it's not really because when I was growing up, um, if this, there was one thing that I remember like really clearly about from being at school was the Caribbean stories in my English language books. I loved the parts. Like I would page through the textbooks to just to get to the parts where you had like the excerpts, the the from like Caribbean authors, and I fell in love with the stories that I was reading. And when I read, you know, from people like Jamaica Kincaid, and it was me. It was they were my stories, the things that they were describing. I loved all stories. I would like read all books, but the Caribbean stories. They just brought something like you know. It's like when you hear a drum beating, like a lapogabi drum. Yes. There's something that you can't like explain. It's just it just come from your from the tip of your toe. <laughs> whether you think you can dance or you cannot dance or whatever, there's something that just like mm-hmm. like inside of you. That's what the current stories like. They were for me. Like when I read them, I'd be like in this place that would be, you know. And I think. There's a desire, I have this desire to tell the stories that we have in the Caribbean, to bring them to life and, you know, that they be seen also, just like we see stories from all other places. And I don't think it's as, as strange or as isolated from, you know, one world from the other as people may think it is. And, I think that right now we don't have the. I think it's a luxury to do one thing, just one thing. I, you know, I'm like just an educator. I don't think anybody's ever one thing. People are always doing several things. You may not see it. They may it not may not be in a public space, but it's there. You know, and some people, some people, it might be when they finish their job in accounting. Maybe every evening they go and they dance somewhere and they might never put on a public show in a public space, but it's there, you know? In this case, yes, we're showing the films, it's, you know, but it's not as far removed, I think, as 
people may think uh, one world from the other. How hard or easy was it for you to transition or for you to get into it? No effort at all. <laughs> no, no effort at all because um, we, when I started doing it, I started doing it like very naturally. Um, Stephanie had a camera, she was making films and you know, she would ask me sometimes like, like, let's go, let's go do this. I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, we were working on a project because it's something that we're passionate about. And you're not thinking of, there's no rigid frame, you know, around what it is that you're doing. You're just doing because there's something that's driving you to, to tell a story or to bring something to life or, you know? So I don't, I don't think, I don't feel this like transition space because I, it was just, it just like came naturally. It was because we do documentary filmmaking. It's not like I don't know. Like I had to transition to a space where um, I was. I went into fiction. I mean, if I did that, I'm not sure that it would be. No, it was just a smooth thing. There was there was no, there was no effort. Maybe if you're thinking of like, okay, um, hmm, and maybe I'm getting into an area that you want to ask a question or in terms of like okay so I want, to know, I want to know what films you've done you know like i think that's where i probably would go with that because i can <laughs> almost see your thoughts and you're thinking about the films that you've created and where where your 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 storytelling would align with it what sort of films have you guys created um we're doing okay so the two we do Okay, so Stefan and I, we have a company called uh, Creative Sun Films, and it's a film production company. We do impact films, so we do uh, films on issues that we care about and, you know, that can, through the, the impact that these films have, they can bring about positive change in society. And we also do documentary films, so independent documentary films. Um, of the films, uh, let me see. There's a light edge. Uh, this was a film that we shot in Dominica, a short film um, on an artist, a woodworker from Dominica. Um, it was in very recently in the film festival in Antigua, one of the film festival, um, Women of the Lens Film Festival in last year in London. And that was a film that we really enjoyed doing. It was amazing. The, the person with whom we shot the film, Keith, um, Keith Clifton, he was absolutely amazing. And uh, we also shot uh, a short, another short called Shehan uh, with uh, Shana Robin, you, you must know. Um, that was also an amazing experience. And it was this short was also in the Wallach um Film Festival in Antigua uh, in November. And after that, we did Yor. Uh, that was another short in Martinique. And the last, or last film was, is called The Sea Between Us. And we, th we did this film just before and after uh, Hurricane Maria. So it traces the, the journey of a small group of people who try to get in contact. Uh, they desperately try to get in contact with Dominica uh, right after Maria. And they travel by fishing boats. Um, trying to establish contact with uh, with the island. Um, yeah. Okay. 
so, so you so you seem to focus a lot of your your um films on the life of people or or Definitely. somewhat their their biography. Why do you why do you specifically pick those sort of things? Or those sort of genres? I think that the reason why our stories or the, the films that we make, they're really character-based, it's character-based storytelling driven by the, the stories of Caribbean people because we don't see these stories often on us on screen. Um, we don't we don't see when we see them, they're told through the eyes, very often they're told through the eyes of outsiders who have the means and who come and they tell a story, the story that they, they see, that they think they see. And then we, you know, they tell it back to us. Mm -hmm. And we want to tell our own stories. Yeah, I, I we want to tell the stories that are diverse because we have we have like so many stories that can be told but it's very limited like what we do see on you know current stories is very limited so yeah i think i think i understand what you're saying and, and i hope that nobody probably misinterpret what you're saying in terms of we want to see we want to be able to tell our own stories it's and, and and how i understand it and, and just 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 correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of times when people tell our stories, in their minds, they might see, for example, looking at me, and they might see my role as probably a media person in Dominica, and that might be what they want to feature. But there's so much more that goes beyond me just being a media person, because I don't even consider myself to be a media person. But that's just what they might see and might want to tell. So your role as a as a storyteller or in terms of a filmmaker is to tap into probably my life growing up in big house and you know and how I grew up with my parents and stuff and what probably brought me to where I am, yes, as a media person, but as a wholesome person, so to speak. Am I wrong? Is that, is that what you're uh no you're um not wrong. Um what we what we're trying to say is, I've been to like I've seen films that are portrayed in festivals. I've been, I've actually in in one festival I went to, um, like just left the theater because I think it was a film that was shot in South America, and the the the, the way the story is told, it makes me feel it made me feel so profoundly uncomfortable because I could relate as a person, like as a Caribbean person, I could tell that the way that the person is looking at me, it's not, it's not a, um, it's not, it's not a, not a look. Shit, man. The word is coming in French right now. <laughs> that is not how I want to be seen. If my story will be in total, when I say my story, it's not, just my life story. It's any story. You what, know, like when, when you look at when you look at documentaries on Netflix or on any platform online, 
just documentaries that are made in North America, they made in Europe or wherever. They don't just tell people stories. A documentary can be any part of a reality. So, stories told in the Caribbean can be that too. They also that because people in the Caribbean, we're not like these paradisian places where, you know, it's either, it's all nice and every time you see an image from the Caribbean, there's like a little reggae music that accompanies it. Or it's like all disastrous. Yeah. Know, like all these poor little islands, they're being you know, wipes up by something or... You see what I'm saying? I get it. In between there, they're just normal people living lives that are full and rich and with, you know, myriads of stories that can be told. But we never see them. Like, we never see the richness and the subtleties of, you know, the layers that all Caribbean people have in their lives because it's always portrayed. Not always, let's not be often, very often. But the ones that make it big. You see what I'm saying? Are the ones that highlight the 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 stuff that is not just what we encompass. It's not all of us. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So I get what you're saying. We have love stories. We have all of these different things that can come out from us. It's not just yes. what you choose yes. how that would cause a controversy and probably make you the best film or the film of the year. Yeah. <laughs> I think it all has the merit of existing, whether it's in fiction or document, or, or, you know, how we do documentary film making. But for Caribbean filmmaking on a whole, it all has the merit of being, whether it's fiction or documentary. And if it's in documentary, the all different styles, whether it's journalistic, investigative, uh, um, cinema du réel, uh, you know, whatever kind of documentary that is, or whatever kind of story that you can possibly tell, it has the merit of being. Yes. I think that we, as Caribbean, you know, like, you know, right now in America, we're here in North America, and particularly. In the United States, we hear a lot of talk of, you know, how much black people need to see themselves on screen and they need to see themselves represented and they need to see themselves in these different roles. And so that it becomes a reality for the people looking at it that, you know, it's possible. And, it's, you know, and it's important that in the same way that we would, we would hear these stories as children, the only different stories our parents told us. And these imaginary things, they came to life in our heads and they took some real form for us. And that's why they're so ingrained into our psyche and, you know, into our memories and what composes our imaginary landscape uh, in Dominica. I think it's all just as important to actually see the diversity of stories or current stories on screen. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, like you're talking and I'm thinking of all of these different things. And, you know, a lot of times we see, uh, we could take, for example, a film as probably somebody can recall right off the bat, Black Panther, for example. You know, um, I mean, this, this Black film producer was given an opportunity. And he, and I, I love the fact that he embraced it and he, he showed what he wanted, at least for the most part, what he wanted to be a representation of what story Black Panther should encompass and not what um, 
what the rest of the world would assume. And when I say the rest of the world, to be a little harsh, the white world. You know, a lot of a lot of stories are told by by white people, and and not necessarily about white people, because they do tell black stories as well. But I I I can appreciate that you would want to tell the story because you can give it from a perspective of a black person. You know, like you can you can understand our culture or of the culture better because you can you would have more of an appreciation and you would not think that we're talking about Supriyan or Rajables is like a folk thing, but we actually believe that these things existed, you know, growing up as kids. Um, we, to us, it was very real. And someone else telling that story might come across as um, it's a myth. And... I don't want to be told it's a myth. This is something that I enjoyed as a child, you know. Um, let let that remain real to me, you know. And and I like the fact that you're telling, you want to tell our stories, our Caribbean people's stories, from a Caribbean point of view, and not from someone else looking in, you know. That's how yes. I understand it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Definitely. I think yeah. there's no better person to tell your story than, than you. Very true. If you, if you had an opportunity to work with someone famous, who would you want to work with? Oh my God. <laughs> there's so many people. Um, wait, filmmaking? Oh, like, As a man, go anywhere you want to go with this. <sighs> Honestly, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I think there are like quite a number of people that I would like to work with. There are some moms out there, you never know they might be watching. <laughs> <laughs> um I think in filmmaking there's this one person that we you know, as a team we do we look at her and we're like lower podcasts. They don't they produce who made the filmmaker who made um Citizen producer, director who made uh, Citizen Four, uh, or Edward Snowden, that movie. Oh, she's an amazing filmmaker. Amazing filmmaker. Um, I think having an opportunity to work with her, that would be like, that would be amazing. Yeah. And so I think in maybe in, in writing, um, Jamaica Kincaid. Oh my God. I, uh, Oh yes, <laughs> I think Jamaica Kincaid speaks like my soul. Wow. I just love, love like her writing. It's yeah. What do you think um, about the how the film industry is is recognized in the Caribbean? How do I think that the film the how film do you, industry is? How do you feel it's recognized? What is your? What do you think of it in terms of how um, us as a people look at the film industry in the Caribbean? That's a tough question. Sorry. What, no, no. Why, why is it a tough question? I think it's because um, I think for a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people even think of the film industry in the Caribbean. 
apart from maybe professionals in the field. Um, I think for a lot of people, when they think of film industry, they think of the Hollywood. So not Caribbean at all, you know? Um, the people are happy when they have like a couple of films from the Caribbean, but they don't look to the Caribbean as like a source, like the place where films are going to emerge, you know? Um, I think as professionals in the film industry, we are a bit isolated in the sense that mm-hmm. in terms of um, like network, uh, I do think that we, we lack some, you know, what, if, what we do lack. Uh, what do you think can change that or help um, uh, sort of bring some more spotlight or light on the industry? You get to like the, you get to the hard question part. <laughs> um, then there are quite a number of things I think that can like help bridge the the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, the difficulty of building like a Caribbean film industry is linked to the fact that we like you know islands. Um, I do think that we can have more collaboration between between the islands and more open access to smaller, more independent filmmakers, um, because I think access is more, the, the things that do exist, like a couple of festivals and uh, maybe when there are events that are of interest or even funding opportunities uh, for filmmakers, um, Smaller independent filmmakers, they do necessarily have access or the knowledge that it exists. So maybe opening access to those things, I think, is a start. And I think something that's more structured, you know, something that's more structured and more structured, regular, that can bring these uh, professionals together. Mm. And mm-hmm. we always go back to education. I do think that including, you know, uh, cinema in schools, it uh, deja like already this it connects uh, young people, children to like film the the world of cinema and the film industry in a different way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a a pretty good place to start that it be included in as part of the arts in the the cinemas. Yes, um, this, at this point, guys, if you have any questions uh, for Zephyrin, you could throw it out there, we'll ask. We'll you must say I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> you have questions? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll throw out the questions as they come. Um, uh, if no questions, we'll just continue throwing, because I, I can probably talk forever. But we'll oh, there, was, there was one thing that I wanted to, to add, uh, when we, you ask about the films that we're making, how could I forget? We actually have a film that we're working on right now is in development. And we actually was, the project was selected um, by the Tribeca Film Institute and um, IFA, uh, the biggest documentary film festival in the world, and write up, uh, write up films. And we're going to present the project 
at in Amsterdam in like two weeks. So we're going to pitch. So the project was selected as part of a global pitch. Um, we're really excited about that. Yeah. Wow. So that's the latest, like one of the latest projects that we're working on. Wow. How, how does that make you feel knowing that you, you, your film, there's a possibility that your idea would be one day or me one day on the big screen? Pretty amazing. Um, I think more than it being on the big screen, I think it's the fact that the project was even selected. Um, the, the theme of the, the pitch was uh, climate change. And out of the 80-something submissions that they got from around the world, they only selected six projects. And I was, was the, the only one from the Caribbean. And for me, that was like huge because um, for us, it's like they saw something in the story and they heard something that's, you know, made them select this project. So for us, it's like, it's more about more than just the story being on the screen, it's about taking it to a place where you have like deciders and like, you know, major persons in the industry and documentary filmmaking and having conversations with them and, you know, also op um, opening possibly other opportunities for other independent filmmakers from the Caribbean. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. We're really happy about that. Congratulations to, to you. Um, you you also um, you've been very much involved with um, when I say um, literacy in terms of the Creole language and and languages uh, as an educator um, I don't know growing up I just kind of my father was was I could call him an educator as well because he was a teacher he was a principal but my father did not like the Creole language. And he did not like it being spoken. It seemed like he was he he never he never allowed it in the house, so to speak. As much as we would speak it when my great grandmother came to live with us, he didn't it was not one of the things that he favored. You as an educator have decided to um that you want to promote languages um in, in, in the schools, in the in in in, in, in everyday life. Why did you decide to get into that? And tell us a little bit about your journey to, to promoting, especially the Creole language. Um, well, I grew up in Marabat, where people speak Okoy. And my grandmother is from Vegas, so she spoke Creole. And she spoke Creole to us, but we didn't speak Creole back to her. Um, at school, we were not allowed to speak neither Creole, nor Kokoi, and God forbid, if you spoke Dominican English. <laughs> yes, they always said like, our official language, and they would even say our mother language is English. Uh, but nobody spoke English around me. Everybody spoke Dominican English, and a lot of people spoke Kokoi or Creole. When I moved to, but I couldn't speak Kokoi, because it was considered like some lower form of language, like as if, if you spoke Kokoi, you were not as intelligent if you spoke like proper English. When I moved to Martinique, it was a whole other experience. I had grown up like hearing Creole all the time, and I 
force myself to understand prayer because I want to hear what my grandmother would be saying when she would be gossiping with her friends. Uh, but I didn't speak. I couldn't like hold a conversation in prayer at all. And when I got to Martinique, it was like, you know, the, quite a, sort of like a shock for me because people were speaking prayer all the time. And like friends that I had, like in their families, they just had conversations in prayer. And I thought like, my God, that's amazing. Like these people are talking prayer normally. And at home, like I see like less and less people spoke prayer. And the people who were my age, they would like say, I don't know the expressions in prayer, but nobody's having like a conversation in prayer. And I could sense that slowly there's something that's, you know, was being lost and that it is, is being lost. And when I looked at Kokoi, I was, it was another shock because I discovered that at the university, there was a class on Kokoi that was being done by a professor from the UK who was living, who was living in, in Martinique and who was studying Kokoi and who was actually doing, there was a course on Kokoi. And I was like, look at that. People are like coming from wherever, studying Kokoi. And like I grew up in this community where people spoke Kokoi, etc. And it's like I'm not studying it. No, you wanna say you are specializing in languages. <laughs> yeah. It's the same idea of why there's somebody is telling your story, you know? And I so I really have this feeling of there's something that's being lost and I can do something. I can do something because I'm a researcher. I specialize in languages and this is what I want to do. I want to contribute in some way to preserving the languages that we have in Dominica and to documenting them. So I don't know where, like what will happen if, you know, languages, they, they come into existence and they go extinct. And maybe that will happen, but at least maybe somehow I would have contributed to like, you know, uh, documentation on the Creole and Kokoi languages in Dominica through film, through film, not only written, written research, but through film also. Okay. Uh, see the link? Yeah, I see the link. <laughs> yes. Like everywhere. So you're yeah. like, like three things that you're passionate about just come together. Um, yep. they, they, they link up very nicely and they all of them work well with, with each other. You recently visited Dominica. Uh, there was a workshop, and you guys sort of was closing off. You had a closing ceremony, and of course, a lot of people did not know about it. A lot of people did know, but quite a few people didn't know. Tell us a little bit about your collaboration with the University of the West Indies that, as it relates to the Creole language and integrating languages into, or at least into our curriculum, somewhat in Dominica. Well, what happened, at, so that was, um, it was the Creole Country Conference 2019. And um, so that had been organized by the University of the West Indies uh, with uh, Kimon Joseph and uh, Violet Coffey, who's at the University of Bedfordshire. I hope I'm not saying that like wrong, I'm probably pronouncing it wrongly, but they were responsible for this very big um, Creole project along with the uh, Comité Poétique Creole in Dominica. And I had that uh, research project had been going on for, I think, a couple of years. And the conference was sort of like closing off the, the project. Mm -hmm. So we had people from 
I was just participating in the in the conference. So there were people from Martinique, from Guadeloupe, from uh, Seychelles, uh, from the US, from different places, presenting papers uh, um, on Creole uh, at the conference. And one of the very, but they were also like practitioners and persons from the media and persons from the tourism industry. Uh, who came together to like discuss Creole in each of these like different sec um, sectors and also in education. So it was really a very, very rich event uh, because we had these um, work groups of persons discussing what is Creole, uh, Creole is a broad sense and broad uh, definition. So it encompasses like French-based Creole and like Kokoi, uh, what it means for Dominica um, as um, why the, the terms coming in French right now. Merde. Um, intangible cultural heritage, sorry. <laughs> for us, intangible cultural heritage and uh, where are we going, uh, how do we move forward, um, how do we preserve this heritage that we have in media, in tourism in education, you know, uh, yeah. So that was, that was what this whole conference was about. And it was really a very emissional conference. At the end of the conference, just to close everything, we planted a tree in the garden at Yui to symbolize this new beginning and uh, yeah. Well, I, I really hope, um, you know, I, I, I'm so, I feel so fortunate to know the Creole language, to know Creole. To, to be able to speak Creole. I mean, even now and again, I stumble on, on words and stuff because I've been so English-sized <laughs> that I, yeah. kind of, I kind of stumble on words. And, and I remember, you know, telling my cousins, you know, hey, you all kind of forget this. You have to speak it and you have to talk to your kids and, and let your kids know it's important that they, that, they, that they know the language because it will get lost if you don't continuously speak it because you know recently you know they i know like islands like saint lucia they have the the they created the dictionary creole dictionary yes. i remember yes. one of my cousins her husband who is from trinidad he's actually from tobago he learned to speak creole from the dictionary he would go in and every time he'd hear her say something especially on the phone to her talking to her friends <laughs> what she mean by that you know and i think it was more of curiosity just to know if she's talking about him but <laughs> <laughs> he, he eventually he, he can understand not so much speak it but he can understand the, the language and you know i have friends um that i know like white friends that know how to speak creole because they're so interested in, in learning it and here we are you know having kids or having relatives who don't even know our language. We have people, I like to call it my Jean or friends, who don't even know how to speak it, let alone, they don't even want to understand, let alone speak it. And I think we need to, to really step our game up and say, hello, this is gonna get lost. And don't want, it's part, more than anything else, it's part of your heritage, it's part of your culture, it's part of your, it's part of what made you a Dominican, you know, like we need to embrace that. And um, kudos to the University of the West Indies and all of the other groups who have taken up the mantle and decided. I, I, one of these days, I hope that I could see Creole taught in 
in a major university, that would be something, you know, like the curriculum, because I could be like, I can't speak it, you know? And even like, when I would communicate, like when I moved to Canada, when I would communicate with my friends and my cousins in Dominica and via NSN, because those days, a lot of times we use public, public um, computers. And I would in Creole, I mean, I, I would just be making up the words based on how they sound. But we yeah. understood each other and nobody else around us was getting it because nobody knew what we were talking about. And it was so cool. And I, I hope that I could pass it on to my kids. And I hope that anybody who's actually listening right now probably even knows a little bit about it would want to know more. And if you know a lot, you want to teach somebody, you know, to, to keep the language strong. And kudos to you and your team and all of you for for um for that initiative with you and the rest of the, the associations that are part of it. Um, hopefully one day um we'll have books, not just a dictionary but books, you know, in yes. like storybooks in in Creole, you know, they're just like normal. Um, this stuff has been has been done and I think what we want to see is that it's that it moves from this, uh, you know, like the cultural thing. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice now we do our own independence time where we focus on like speaking Korean or whatever. No, people, you talk Korean all the time. Like, you know, yeah. it's part of you. It's a part of you that. And when I did like research on Creole, the I did research in, in like schools all over Dominica, the teachers and the principals and uh, the. A lot of the teachers who were telling me they don't want these kids to speak Dominican English and, you know, and it's supposed to be standard English in class, etc. The teachers themselves, like, when they were in interviews, they would speak Dominican English and they would mix, like, standard English, Dominican English, Creole. It's because this is our identity, you know? And yes, uh, it's important that you, ma that you have the capacity to, in, in this setting, that you can just have a conversation in standard English and that you know you can present or you can give, you can have a discourse or whatever, a speech. Uh, but you also have to preserve this plurality of your, you know, that makes you who you are. And it cannot be, you know, limited to English because it's not, not in our brain, not in our setup, not in, you know, how we express ourselves. Mm -mm. I think colonization has a major um, part to play with that because like living in Canada where you see all of these different ethnicities, they come and they speak their language, their kids speak their language, but their kids are still able to perform in school speaking English and French plus their language. And here we are in our small islands, we've, we, we've, we think that not, that Stopping someone from learning to speak Creole or speaking Creole would prevent them from learning in school is almost like we're not willing to stretch our brains or stretch our kids' brains and know that, hello, they will be able to take on all of it. It actually gives your brain, like, because your brain is stretched now, it, it works out, all the muscles work. They can take in more because now they're, they're able to absorb something that is completely different from what they're learning in school. You know, so I think we really need to take this seriously and and stop with that mentality that just because you know we we think that speaking English proper English in school is going to be what will allow our kids to learn 
or to do better in school. That is totally not the case. It's not. <laughs> so, it's quite the contrary. It's really quite the contrary. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people still have this idea that, yes, if kids they, if they speak Creole, then it's going to prevent them from speaking English or it's going to prevent them from learning um, other languages. Uh, it's just like the complete like, opposite. The more languages the kids speak, the more languages they will speak. Um, because you know this is how bilingualism operates and if you look at certain um countries on the african continent you have places where the kids like they speak like eight 10 15 languages because uh because there, there are that many languages spoken by a community and they have absolutely no problem switching from one language to the next because they grew up that way you know, the, the, the more you try to force a language out, um, you know, to where we're in an environment where it still exists, you know, it's not like you remove a child from an environment where and move them to a place where it's predominantly this language and they're not hearing the other language anymore. That, that works very well. This kind of subtractive bilingualism, it works perfectly. Uh, but when you're in a place where People still speak the language around you, but you're saying you cannot speak this language that you shouldn't. So if you do, then and when I say language, I'm always talking. I'm also talking about variety, like Dominican English, that it prevents you from. Uh, you're you're trying to limit something that's very natural, and because you're doing that, you're losing the you're losing something else. You're losing all on the child's capacity to actually learn in a very different way from what you think and how you think that they should learn. Wow. So we have hope, I'm hoping that we can see these languages like, you know, move from this sphere where there's like stigma hanging over them to, you know. And even people who say like, no, I, I do think the Creole should be taught, but like, you know, we should still be careful. Mm. <laughs> there's always a there's always a but, you know, it's like, it's still not on par with, you know, others. So. We're just going to take some contributions from some folks. Um, Jamari said, teaching is the greatest profession. I've done it all my life. Uh, so I guess he's, he's um, showing appreciation to the fact that you are an educator. And Melinda says, that was an amazing project, referring to what you did with um, Yui, um, put on by Yui, and your contribution was so great. It was amazing. I want to I want to talk briefly about you as a black woman with natural hair. Um, <laughs> what sort of response do you get? You know, I I I embrace I embrace my natural my natural hair a few years ago, but I still kind of mix it up and do all all sorts of stuff with it. But you wear yours so loud and proud um, for the for the little girls out there. Um, who might think, because I, I thought about my hair so much, you know, when I decided to go back to school, I decided that I wanted to grow out my hair uh, because in my mind, where I would, felt that I was leading, I would not be accepted with, with so, so you get where I'm going with this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and here you are, this educator, of, um, filmmaker, writer, you know, you have your beautiful natural hair. 
you're pretty natural, so to speak. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about what level, of, what got you to that place where you feel so confident about rocking your hand. I just want to throw this. I just want you to give me your views somewhat as a message to young black girls out there who might be wondering about their hair still and they're still using black cream. <laughs> um, I can't say that. I guess, okay, if there, if there was any process, it would be like just me being like, hey, I'm done with that, huh? that thing of like doing, you know, like relaxing here or whatever. Like, it's like so natural. Why am I even doing this? I'm going back to natural. Because how I actually came to like the point of relaxing my hair, that was like high school. Um, I always combed my own hair. Uh, my grandmother should put like one, two, three, four, five, what they call puff plaits in Dominica. Yes, so she put like five puff plaits in my hair to go to school. And then like when I got to like maybe 10 years, I was like, mm -hmm. then puff plaits ugly. Let me comb my own hair. So I started combing my own hair. So I learned how to do like my cornrows by myself, etc. And I think I always liked combing my hair. I'll do like my little plaits, you know, on plaits then. I'll beg uh, people in my family for me to comb their hair. And maybe one day I came from school and uh, Sylvie, she was, her bigger sister was relaxing her hair. And they said, you want to do your hair? I said, okay. <laughs> You get no, I, I had no reflection on like whether my hair should be this or that. I just came out of it with relaxed hair. I hated it because, like, when I did this on my head, my finger, like, my fingers went like, boom. <laughs> it was such a disagreeable feeling. It felt like I was naked. I hated it. So, like, I kept the relaxed hair maybe like a year or something like that, but I kept like chopping it. And eventually, I just got tired of it. Because I was like, you're going to relax your hair, then it's burning your scalp. There's something so unnatural about the whole process. So I was like, mm -hmm. not to be rude or vulgar, like, from that. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and then, so I went back to just, I just, like, chop everything. I was just leave my natural hair. I was like, oh. Never have to think of my hair because it's just in my hair, in my head, you know. But I must say that I think growing up as a child, you are made aware of the vibrant nature of your hair by people around you because they're like, when they would comb my hair, they'd be like, oh, your hair's so thick, it breaking the comb, like as if your hair was like this uncontrollable it all. Whole thing. So I, I did grow up thinking like my hair was so thick, keep thick. I don't think here. <laughs> My hair's like, like a black person here. It's pretty, you know, nothing crazy about the hair quad. So I think I just love combing my hair and I would take care of it. And it seems bizarre to me to do anything else. You know? I get what you're saying. And I think that for for young for young girls, I would tell them, um, let your hair be itself because your hair is you and it's part of you. So you have to let it be, explore it, play with it, do the, try different things, just like you would with everything else. Like just like you do with like your skin, uh, just like you do with the, your body and the things that you eat, etc. Do this with your hair, you know, let it live because it is a living thing. Let it live. Um, Eventually, you will find what is the right thing for you with your hair. 
for some people it's always like with with braids or with uh with I, hope I, that I huh? hope I hope I get to that point because for me having my head because I wore I, I wore my head bald for years. Like I mm-hmm. I did colors and everything. And having my head shaved like low flat was probably the best hair moments I've ever had because it required so little I I said, I feel you because mine was bald too. Like, oh, yeah. this is like oh, when you have no hair on your head, it's the best. It is the best feeling ever. And for me, I think as a black woman, I felt my hair as like would hold me back. Be- when I say hold me back, not in terms of progress, but in terms of time, like I have to take so much time to twist at night. And like, even when my hair is the length, it is like right now it's, it's up to like hair. And I have to twist it and put conditioner and then put a silk wrap and all of I'm like, oh my God, it's taking so much time. I could be like doing an assignment. I could be doing a proposal for something. And for me, that is, that's how I've always looked at my hair, which is why I wear braids. Like people might be saying I'm, I'm yeah. to change my style. Cause I'm just like, yo, if it's braided, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to worry about it. It's either that. Oh, it's going back to being flat because <laughs> it's driving me nuts. So I can appreciate that when you say, let it just do its own thing, because probably I should just leave it and let it just do <laughs> gel. Doing like letting your hair be for me doesn't necessarily mean like having long hair. I was like, I had my hair completely bald, like bald, bald for maybe like two years. Uh, I was doing my thesis and I just did not have the headspace to like wake up and comb hair. And it was just like, it's gone. It was like freedom. Um, I have no idea. But it's still, it was still like my natural hair. Because for me, your hair is your power. Like hair is like strength for me. It's just like when, you know, like you have healthy nails, it's a sign of like vitality. There's there's strength in your hair, so whether it's like short or whether it's long, it's let it be. You know, ex, you express yourself through it, yes, but it's more than that for me. It's you know, and I think like I went through like I cut my hair, I had a mohawk, I it was red, it was pink, it was orange, it was like all sorts of colors. The kids at school would like laugh at me. Like I was teaching at one point, my hair was like it was a mess. It was like a big thing of like pink cotton candy. The kids would like laugh so much. Yes. Uh, but I would just like do stuff with it. I would like dye it one time, then I'd cut it, then I'd do like another style and whatever, but I was having fun with my hair. I did not feel like it was something that I had to like tame or make like flat or like the handle, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I felt like it was part of I don't know, it was an interesting part of me being me, you know? Yeah, I would, I, yeah. yeah. I, I just wanted to touch on that, the fact that you're natural here. Uh, it's, it's somewhat off topic, but, you know, we can have yeah. a... Like, but it never, you know, like being in any any forum, any situation, any context, it's always a strength for me. Like, if I have to go to pitch somewhere, I'm, like, going to do... Like if somebody had their relaxed hair, they would probably do a chignon or something. I'm gonna do like a friggin' power chignon with my natural hair. 
Yes, that's what I'm going to do. So like when I get up there, I feel like, oh yeah, this is me. Yeah. All of me. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so you, you mentioned in our discussion that you're going to be heading to Amsterdam in the next two weeks. What's next for Zephyr besides that? What's next? Like so many things. Um, we're finishing, no, seriously, we're finishing uh, a short. We're finishing an impact film right now. Uh, we're working on two shorts film right now and a feature film. Um, I'll be starting a research project soon and participating also in a couple of conferences coming up uh, in the first half of 2020. Um, that's like in the immediate like future coming like the next few months. It's like looming big ahead. Yes. If that's what you're talking about, like right now, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow, wishing you all all the best in that. I'm almost, I'm almost kind of like, should I talk about um, kids, family life, anything like that? Because you seem so busy. Uh, um, there are no kids, and um, I don't think there will be any <laughs> in the near to medium, <laughs> like you know, upcoming future. Uh, but maybe who knows? Never know. Well, so like, you know right now. <laughs> <laughs> I say that I say you know, I'm, I'm like like you know, if like a kid does come and like you know, I do think that there's a ton that you can do, like even as you have a kid. Yes, you have like the space and like time. Mm-hmm. You do everything. If you have a kid, you're gonna you know, balance it off and you want to bring your kid along with you on shoots. Yeah, yeah. When you're a teacher, sometimes you bring them with you to school and they learn to be a certain way because they're in a certain context and mom is working and, you know, so yeah, but I have kids, so maybe one of those days. <laughs> it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you so very much uh, for taking time out uh, to speak with me speak to my, my viewers um, about about your life in terms of you know what you've been up to and what you're gonna be I, I want to encourage folks if you if you want to stay in touch with Zephyrin by all means um, in terms of following her seeing what's what's happening see what happens with her project you know that she's gonna be pitching in two weeks you know um, and it's always nice to say you know I knew that person you know especially when like I have a friend um, who I met uh, when I newly moved to Canada. Uh, she's African. Her name is Zanel. She's also a writer. And she wrote, um, she's one of three writers for a major production in, in Africa um, for a film. Um, it's called, I might, I'm going to probably mess up, but it's called Afalahaki. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, the tribal series. Um, that's on like a major network out there, and um, when I when I think of you know Zanel, I'm like, oh, I knew Zawi. You know, it's like you know, you felt so good. You like, I don't know who the person is, you know, and, and look at she's out and, there. And you're happy. You're happy for her. Yes, yeah, I'm you're happy that this this person like from from where you knew them and like you know they were doing the thing then and like you see something happening for them definitely I totally feel you and I there's something that 
I would like, and that I know that Stephanie um, would like, is to have like collaboration with other filmmakers in the Caribbean. Like, we have like you know this really vibrant film community, even if we, you know, we have this distance between islands. But you know, when you look at continents like Europe or North America or whatever, the distance is like you know. Doesn't bother. It's happening. So travel to do their films. Yeah. So came to Dominica to do Pirates of the Caribbean, and there was like very little of except except what the natural the nature of Dominica. But there's very little of us, you know, in it. You know. So at the end of the day, for us in the you know not distant future, we're really looking to build also to or contribute more so because it's not like it's inexistent contribute to building this you know this network of uh filmmakers in the Caribbean and contributing to the, the film industry particularly the documentary film industry in the Caribbean yeah, yeah. so I want to encourage folks all her social media handles are on the link. So it's either, depends on where you're looking. If you're looking on a phone, it might be above. If you're looking on a computer, it might be below or vice versa. Um, all of the handles are there. You can always click on the links and you can follow her. Her website is there. Her Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything is on there. You can follow her um, and, and see what happens. And it's always good to see, oh, I know when that person was I'm doing this. You know, you feel so good. If you want to follow us for like things specific to filmmaking, uh, definitely follow Creative Sun Films. Yes. That's where you're going to see like our behind the scenes and all the news and the films and everything. Stephanie, thank you very much for, for coming thank on. Thank you so much, Dad. It was really fun being on with you. Thanks a lot. I could have probably continued. I had like a 15 more questions. I'm like, probably. <laughs> but, I <laughs> but you know, time is of the essence, and and we we I know you have such a busy schedule, um, with all of the things that you're doing, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share your story, and I hope that somebody's life would have been impacted, and somebody. Uh, one of the things that I got out of this is that you should never limit yourself. You know, we should stop with that tunnel kind of thinking. You know, there's something happening on the other side of out of what we're because you've linked education with being bilingual, with being a filmmaker, and and they work so well for you and, and you seem to be happy. At least that's what you project that you're absolutely happy, you're passionate about what you do. And I hope that young people who are viewing this can feel the same way. Because you probably went to school for biology doesn't mean that you can't go out there and do hair. Because yeah. you, you could I, I science kind of product yeah. hair. You know, I just throwing that out there. You know, don't limit yourself. Thank you very much, Zephyrin. Thank you so much, Dale. I really appreciate it. And I just want to thank all of you for viewing, all of those of you who came on, those of you who've shared, who will continue to share. Make sure you keep sharing the link. We want people to know. If you missed it, don't worry. It'll be uploaded on YouTube in a couple of days, hopefully. I'll try to do it in like 24 hours, like I normally do. But it should be up in a few days on YouTube. Also on my website, that's jljoseph.com. Also, um, for those of you looking for sweatshirts and and uh, paraphernalia stuff from Kakuti. DM me directly. Yes, one time, two times. Thank you so very much for uh, tuning in to all of you. And thanks for the love. Thank you, guys. 
We'll be back next week. Yes, next week we got a show for you. We have uh, mole molecular genesis will be on with me next week. Yo, them people, all you know, it's easy. Now we doing some kind of big things. And she's a woman. Gonna be on next week. Big Yay. up. Thanks again. Thanks again, Zephyr. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.